0: This past uh, Thursday and Friday, we had a staff, annual staff retreat. We were at Montgomery Bell State Park, and during one of the breaks, uh, a, a group of us we did a scavenger hunt. And um, I think you know this, but but maybe you don't. You know Rob Sweet, you know our lead pastor, teaching pastor. Rob is way into games. You guys know. You guys know he and his brother have a company. They produce games. It's got, um, you know, you get them online, and so he put together this scavenger hunt uh, at Montgomery Bell. And uh, you had to, you know, we're in teams and you have to go out and find these clues and put all these clues together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, my team came in third, which was pretty darn good. You know, I thought it was pretty good, but we, we had a problem right at the beginning. And that is when we went to our first area and there are eight areas you had to go through throughout Montgomery Bell State Park. When we went to our first area, it was circled on a map and the circle on the map, you know, circled an area that when you get there, it's, it's two acres, you know, trees, parking lot, you know, whatever. And um, so we're like, okay, I know we're supposed to be looking for these little pieces of tape. And we start running around, you know, kind of looking, looking. And we didn't realize until later that, you know, he had us download these two apps. And on this one app, when you get to the spot, you, you get the app and the, and the app gives you clues. So rather than looking through the forest, you know, it tells you go to this one tree and then look this way whatever. So once we, we got past that, uh, we, we really did, did pretty good, I think. Now, stay with me. Our text today, I'm, I, 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 I'm not gonna read through, I'm gonna teach through it. So I didn't wanna read through it first and it's a little longer. But it is, um, Jesus is, is it, it just, it's a simple narrative and having been in the upper room, you know, we were in there 17 weeks, it just tells the story of like leaving the upper room, across the Kidron Valley, over here to the garden, and Jesus is bound and arrested. I mean, that's the story. Now, when we read it it, it, it honestly looks like just like a tragedy ending in despair because all the hopes and dreams of their years with Christ moments spent in the upper room, I'm telling you within minutes, (laughs) the disciples are wondering uh, uh, not, hey, I can't wait for the kingdom. They're wondering, I don't know if I'll live through the night. And life can be that way, can it not? That you're just going along in life and then the bottom falls out and darkness descends. And you can wonder, I I don't know if I'm going to make it through the night. But on a closer inspection of the narrative, I wanna suggest that John has actually left us clues. That if we'll pay attention and, and pick up and see the clues and, and put those clues together. Uh, this, this narrative, it is not a tragedy ending in despair. I want to suggest it is God's sovereign, providential grace at work for our good. And we actually, I, I think we'll come to understand that God's inviting us to walk through darkest nights, which no one escapes, not in despair, but honestly with a deepening hope. Now I'm gonna walk us through it just a little piece at a time. We're gonna go one through 14. I'm not gonna catch so much the 12 to 14 because we'll pick that up a little bit later when the narrative comes back to it. But I'm gonna walk us through these verses and I, I, I see at least seven clues, okay? Like you don't see them on the surface, but oh my goodness, they're there. And, and, and John has been so careful in how he's written this book. We know that he could have said so much more, but he only s- says this much of it. And here in this particular narrative, we're gonna find, why did he pick these things? Well, I think we'll see that as we move through it. I'm gonna list the seven clues. So, you know, they're gonna be on the screen. You can just write them down, however you'd like to do this. We're gonna start in verse one and um, I'll read that and I'll, I'll suggest what this clue is. So we're in chapter 18 of John. We're beginning verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered." Here's the first clue. We're back in a garden. John is the only gospel writer who uses the word garden. John's the only gospel writer and, and the way he even says it, he says, and they, there, there was a garden <laughs> that he is in his, and his disciples entered. I want you to think about how John arranged his gospel. You gotta think of the book context. He's the only gospel writer that starts his account of Jesus's life, not with a birth narrative, but with the creation narrative. So John starts his account of Jesus' life, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning, that's Genesis one. He's taking us all the way back to the creation account too. I suggest the the, the first three chapters, the garden itself. And John is a writer, I think he's brilliant. They all are inspired. it shouldn't surprise us that he, having begun in the creation account in the garden, so to speak, here as he wraps up his account of Jesus' life, he actually takes us back to the garden. Now, this would have been a, an olive grove. Uh, you've seen pictures of Israel. Some of you have been. It's super dry and rocky and deserty. And there, boom, right on the side of the Mount of Olives would, be, would have been this, uh, these olive trees, a very green, luscious Oasis, first clue, we're back in a garden. Second clue, verses two to three, follow along. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, here's what I'll say is the second clue. Jesus chooses to be found. He chooses to be found. Have you ever gone to a restaurant, coffee shop, you know, somewhere and it's like you you frequent it, you know, but every time you're there, you see the same person. Like I used to go to the Brentwood coffee shop for several years, I'd go there and I'd get a coffee several mornings a week. And I'm telling you, I could tell you before I went there, who, there that there were gonna be two guys sitting in these two stools closest to the register. And I never knew their names. I just knew their face. I go, those are the, those are the Starbucks guys. because They're always there. Jesus, when he's in Jerusalem, has a favorite coffee shop. He's got a place, it, the, John tells us he was there a lot if he wanted to evade arrest, he, he, he wouldn't go to where he always goes. If he, wanted, if he wanted for the arrest to occur in a setting where the crowds would rise up, who just hours earlier were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, we wanna make you king. You know, If he wanted to be somewhere that the officials come to arrest him and the crowd, looks, the crowd goes, no, you're not. He, he could have done that anywhere in Jerusalem. Steady walks in the darkness of a night to a place where? Judas knows that he will be. Three. Third clue. Verses four and five. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, "Whom do you seek?" they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. That little last statement is, is, is a picture of, of, of us, for us to be able to look at this and go, there's, there's Jesus, is, there's Jesus' side. And by the way, just so you know, Judas is standing on the other guy's side. You know, that hits, uh, it, it's, he's revealing his own heart. The third clue though, is Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus takes the initiative. What criminal on the run runs to the police officer and says, who are you looking for? <laughs> it's, a nar- it's a dark night. They come with lanterns. And, and I mean, by the way, the dark and light in this is pretty fascinating that, these, that, that, that these, this, the world in a sense is coming into this dark garden with these man-made lights coming into the darkness. And in the garden is actually the light of the world. You know, there's so much happening here. But, but he, he, Jesus puts his face in the light. He comes, puts his face in the light of the torches, you know, and says, who are you looking for? It's like Jesus is doing their job for them. It's like he's making it easy. Fourth clue in verse six, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Um, There is no he when he makes these statements, it's I am. And of course, this takes us back to Deuteronomy and Moses when he tells, or or Exodus when he tells God, "I'm gonna, God, who do I, who do I tell them is sending me? What's your name?" And God says, "I am who I am." Jesus says, "Ego am me, I am." We've been in the Gospel of John. We know that there are seven great I-ams in John, right? I am, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. There's seven of those, but here most distinctly, it's just, I am. Now, if, if someone in our Western culture in our American context said, I am, we'd go, I am what? You know what I'm saying? But not in this context. I'm telling you the original readers, they in the original audience, when they heard this, they knew he's saying what we know he said all through the gospel. I'm God. When he says the words, isn't it fascinating? Uh, they, it says they fell back. Commentators are, are are varied on this, and you know some 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 might say that the front of the group stepped back, you know. Tripped on the guys behind them, and the dominoes fell. You know, and to me, it's kind of cartoonish. I don't think so. I think these are Roman soldiers. They don't trip on each other and fall back. No, this is some, something happened here, and, and 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 they're they're pushed back. Some say that they're 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 pushed down to worship. I don't know that the, the language isn't quite the language of that they fell to worship. I mean, that's not in the in here. We're not sure what happened. I I love this statement from um, a British or Scottish minister of 1800s. I think, you know, I think those in, you know, of, of yesteryear, their insights into the text, into the scripture is so rich and so profound. And I think in my day, you know, in our day, I, I, I lean so much on commentaries. I'm reading my tail off, you know, and I think in that day they, they prayed their tail off and they, meditated and they trust the spirit, you know, to speak. And I I found this, this, this resonated with me. He suggests this, this is Alexander McLaren. I'll put it on the screen. He said, I'm inclined to think that here there was for a moment, a little rending of the veil of his flesh and an emission of some flash of the brightness that always tabernacled within him. And that was enough to prostrate with a strange awe, even those rude and insensitive men. When he said, I am, there was something that made them feel, this is one before whom violence cowers, abashed, and in whose presence impurity has to hide its face. Jesus makes his identity clear and felt. Clue number five, verses seven and eight. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And I get a little tickled when I read that because, you know, again, we don't know what happened, but if you're toward the front of, you're toward close to Jesus, and he said that first I am he, and something knocked you down. And Jesus says, whom do you seek? And he's getting ready to say it. I mean, in my head, I'm thinking I'd be going, you know, like grab a tree, hang on. You know, it's gonna come again. We don't know. Jesus repeats it, I am. But it's a beautiful thing that he does. Jesus, is thinking of the needs of the disciples. Um, can you imagine the disciples going through, literally, physically going through what Jesus is about to go through? I don't think they would fare well. And Jesus knows they would not fare well. We know when it's all over in post-resurrection, they're hiding, terrified. You can only imagine if they took what Jesus, taken, hey, Jesus... He says, no, that's not going to happen. And so it's interesting, you know, think about this. Twice he says, who do you seek? And twice they say, Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't say Jesus of Nazareth and his disciples. So he already gets them committed. You're after me. And Jesus, because he does this, I assume Jesus knows they, they come intending to, to take him. But but Jesus is, is, he's caring for them. He says, let these men go. Here's the clue, okay? Because the clue is this. Jesus issues the commands. Wait, I thought, I thought they're in charge. I thought they're coming to arrest this guy. I thought they're gonna buy out. And he's giving them commands. You see this. I don't want to overread into the text, but we know the, that this Bible is one story from beginning to end. You know, I'm suggesting that John's very intentional about taking us back to a garden. When I hear these words and Jesus says, "Let these men go," what, what, what echo do you hear in your Bible? An earlier story. You hear it? Let my people go. (laughs) My people in bondage, let go. My disciples whom I'm setting free, let go. Here's what I don't want us to miss because I think the disciples did you know, in the midst of this, and I certainly would have as well, when everything in their world was falling apart right before their eyes, Jesus was ensuring their safe passage, their security. Didn't look like, it, like, like we just sang it. I don't know what you're doing, <laughs> but I know what you've done. See, in the midst of that. He didn't take away the circumstances, the hardship, the loss, but he was acting to ensure that the circumstances and the hardship and the loss would not destroy them nor keep them from his ultimate purpose purpose and plan for them. Sixth, clue. Verse nine, this was to fulfill the word he had spoken of. Those whom you gave me, I've lost none. Jesus is, the clue here is Jesus's word is equal to scripture. In all the gospel accounts, you'll see this when you read any of the gospel accounts. You'll see this phrase, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken, what the Lord, the Lord God had spoken by his prophets or hey, this has taken place that the scriptures, might, scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And in this particular instance, they use this, John uses the same terminology for some words that Jesus had spoken. Like Jesus just said these words in the upper room, I've lost not one of them. And then John takes those words and says, yeah, cause your word is, is God's word is equal to the scripture. And then the last clue, Jesus drinks the cup, that we deserve. Look at 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has for me? Let's go ahead and catch the back end of this 12 to 14. We'll cover this more later, but so the band of soldiers, their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested and bound Jesus. So they got him bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Here's an important statement. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the many, if I can say it that way, for the people. We'll catch that in a moment. Jesus drinks the cup that we deserve. See, the, the cup he speaks of here is God's judgment and wrath against unrighteousness, against sin. I'm gonna put a quote on the screen for you. This is Leslie Newbegin. I found it, it was a commentary by Fr- Frederick Bruner, but he's quoting Newbegin's Commentary And it just summarizes this so beautifully well. I want you to see it in this way. He writes, as the psalmist and the prophets, because the cup cup of wrath is mentioned many, many times in the Bible. As the psalmist and the prophets had said many times, in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. In other words, there's a cup of God's wrath. And because the wage of sin is death, that all who sin must drink that cup all the way down. In the strange mercy of God, the cup of God's righteous wrath against the sin of the world is given into the hands, not of his enemies, but of his beloved son. And his son will drink this cup down to its dregs until the moment comes when Jesus's cry of, I thirst, gives place to his, it is finished. I read verse 14. I wanted to grab that because here Caiaphas, Caiaphas said more than he knew. He was the high priest that year. So he, he's speaking prophetically and he makes that statement, you know, that, it's, that killing Jesus is expedient They wanted to get rid of Jesus. And what what he means by that is, look, let's kill this one guy, okay? Because if we kill this one guy, then all of us guys get to keep doing what we do. (laughs) And we get to hold our power and we get all that we want. So, So, I mean, there's, why should we all suffer? Let's just kill this one guy and it'll be over. I mean, that, that's what he, he means by it's expedient. That's what darkness looks like, by the way. Listen to, listen to Paul's assessment of what is happening here. This is, it's really commentary on this. Romans, it'll be on the screen as well. Roman, you don't need to turn there. You can look at it. Romans 5, 17 to 19. It's New Living Translation. It says for this, listen to the, to the ones on this. For the sin of the, one man adam caused death to rule over the many but even greater is god's wonderful grace and his gifts of righteousness for all who receive it will triumph over sin and death through this this one man jesus christ yes adam's one sin brings condemnation on everyone but christ One act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because of one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So where was it that the one man chose to trust his own way rather than trust God's word to him. Where did that happen? In a garden. And where now do we see that the second Adam chooses to trust the word of his father though the whole darkness of a fallen world is crushing down on him. Where did that happen? I would say in a garden. Now I say in a garden, you'll say, well, that was at the cross. Well, that's a garden too, but he's he's placed in a tomb in a garden, but no, you'll remember in the other gospel accounts, Jesus in that prayer, what is Jesus praying? Not, Father, if this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. This is fascinating to me and I hope you catch some glimpse of it, that the first Adam in pristine innocence, there's, there's no sin, there's no, there's no darkness. He's got everything and he chooses to trust himself. The second Adam, with death bearing down, chooses not to trust himself, but chooses to trust the father. On the scavenger hunt at Montgomery Bell, you, 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 we had, you had to get... You had to go find these clues. And then <laughs> Rob had this, there's a software app that you plug the clues in. And when you plugged these clues in, the, the app is a GPS app. And it would, it would go, boom, here's what you're looking for. And you just hit, you know, your map and it, it, and you walk this way and you walk this way and it takes you to within 10 feet of any place on the planet. So we're standing there and we know that we've put the clues in, we're within 10 feet of of what, you know, the object that we're looking for. When we take those seven and we put them together, I think that we are within 10 feet for sure of what all seven mean. And this won't surprise you. It's a very simple statement. God is in control. You read the story and you go, no, he's not. This is a total mess. No, no, no. John's placed these clues. Say, look, God is providentially, sovereignly working out his purposes and his plans. I, I, we must say, from our eyes, doesn't look like it. I would say for them, especially, they would be going, "Hey, this doesn't feel like this is the right way." I am not. I, I, I would certainly not throw Peter on the bus. His his, his bravery, his, you know, his willingness to to fight for Jesus is is amazing. And by the way, it was probably a it's probably more dagger like than sword but I I do want you to not miss this. He cut off the guy's ear and he, you know, when he cut off the guy's ears, we, we understand. He was trying to take the guy's head off, right? You don't go at someone like this, like I'm gonna get your head. He went like this. Apparently the guy turned, he cuts off his ear. But here's what happened. For Peter... When it all started unraveling, what did Peter do? And I'm telling you, this is what I would have done. And this is what I still do. When it all starts to unravel, I'm in this garden and I'm gonna figure my way out of this. I'm gonna grab something When things are going well, we don't see what's really in our hearts, right? It's when that pressure comes. It's when we're suddenly hit with something, you know? What comes out, we kind of go, ooh, I I didn't mean to say that. And the truth of the matter is, it was in there the whole time and it just came out, you know? Jesus, with pressure, beyond what we could ever comprehend, what came out of Jesus in that garden is who Jesus is. Pure love, grace and kindness, who purposed to redeem us by drinking the cup that was ours. I want to remind you of what Rob said last week, his last, the last message we had in the high priestly prayer. Jesus's desire and our future are one and the same. Remember that? He said, Jesus desires to bring us truly home, permanently home, home and no darkness will thwart him. That's what the story is showing us. I want you to sit just for a moment. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out. Would you sit for a moment with these seven clues, if you will, and, and, and no one in life escapes the dark of night, you know, this picture of darkness, no one, no one. And so for wherever you are in your world right now, I wanna invite you to ponder what, what might the spirit be inviting you to not just think about, but do, okay? It's not just we think, oh, okay, I think that. Okay, I think, no, it's, I understand that. And therefore I choose, what is God inviting you to do in your own darkness right now? as a reflection of trust (laughs) That, that even as the world's fallen apart, Jesus is in control to bring you home. Sit with that for a moment, would you? And trust the spirit to lead you to your own application. May I invite you to take the table elements? If you missed it, you can step out the doors and take them. If you're a guest of ours, you know, if you've put your trust in Christ, the table is Christ. And if you're in Christ, join us in this table. Take the bread and you'll hold it in one hand, you'll take the cup and hold it in the other. Let's stand together, the elements in our hands. In the Bible, there's two cups. There's the cup of God's wrath and then there's the cup of blessing. (laughs) There's a cup of death and there's a cup of life. How wonderful that we come to this table week by week. And y'all, we hold in our hands, not the cup of death. We hold the cup of life. Jesus's blood poured out on our behalf. His body broken on our behalf. And so we come, Lord Jesus, to this table today, mindful having watched this scene unfold where... Everything seems to fall apart and yet you are in control of every moment. And these events unfold not randomly, but sovereignly, providentially, purposefully. And in you, we can understand that even when darkness is upon us, No, you are at work for us. You secure for us the way through the darkness by your life, death, and resurrection. For your body broken, we say thank you, receive the bread. Thank you for your blood poured out, you gave your life that we don't have to give ours. Thank you that you drank the full cup of the wrath of God toward unholiness, toward unrighteousness, toward wickedness. That you satisfied that justice and having no sin of your own, you burst forth from that grave Thank you for your obedience, Jesus. We proclaim your life, death, and resurrection, and we proclaim that one day you'll come to set all things right, even as we receive this cup. Receive the cup. Father, thank you for your sovereign providential grace at work for good, for our good. Jesus, thank you for your obedience unto death in our place. Spirit, please help us to see more clearly and trust more fully that in darkness, oh, we are not forsaken, that through deepest valley, Jesus, you lead and you keep and you sustain and you bring us all the way home.